0: Welcome to the Cathedral Library Bible Podcast. I'm Rob Steele.
1: And I'm Jordan Duncan. And our desire with this podcast is to show you how easy and enjoyable it is to come to Scripture and walk away having heard the words of God and being changed by them. Amen. All right, welcome everyone to episode 11 of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Walk through, read through, talk through. (laughs) We're doing a lot of things. Um... This is, yeah, the Cathedral Library Podcast. I'm Jordan
0: Duncan. And I'm Rob Steele.
1: And uh, today we have a very interesting section to go through. Uh, The last number of times that we've been recording, I feel like Rob and I look at each other and go, oh, I don't know, this is a little tricky one. And I feel the same about this one, even more so. Um, There's a lot of like, I said to Rob right before we hit record that there was verses in this passage that I don't remember ever reading before, <laughs> and I don't know what to do with them. Yeah, so, wow, okay.
0: It's going to be interesting. We'll just put it that way. Yeah. It should be interesting.
1: Well, um, okay, so it starts off uh, pretty straightforward. Actually, maybe the most straightforward in the whole book, I think, which is good. should be pretty easy. Um, and it's interesting, even like literary, liter- literarily, that it gets really clear at this point because everything so far has been leading up to this question. Um, I think we talked on previous podcasts about how the whole book is getting us to go, "Who is this guy?" So even when yeah. he's you know calming the wind and the waves, the disciples ask, kind of on behalf of the reader, "Who is this man?" Yeah. And so we we worked through last time a few different healings and then kind of as a sign that people weren't getting who Jesus was. Um, Jesus then heals a blind man, and it takes a few goes at it before the blind man uh, can see everything clearly. And right on the heels of that, we get right to the clear part here. No, No more messing around. Um, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, who do people say that I am? So now Jesus is asking the question that we've been supposed to, we're supposed to be asking this whole time. And they say to him, uh, a few different answers. Some people think John the Baptist or Elijah, or, you know, just one of the prophets. And then he cuts to the chase and asks them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Christ. And Jesus tells them, don't tell anyone about this he then teaches them about what it would mean for him to be the Messiah, um, the son of man that he's got to suffer, be rejected, be killed, and then will rise. And then verse 32 says, and he said this plainly, which is great. So that's <laughs> makes it easy. That's for what we know for sure. Um, which I hope will then make everything else clear. Cause at this point, the rest of it's a little foggy for me. Um, So Peter takes him aside and rebukes him, and then Jesus (laughs) turns and rebukes Peter and says the famous, get behind me Satan line, uh, because he's setting his mind on the things of God, not the things of man, and then explains. So the whole book, remember, is about who is Jesus, and then what does it mean to follow him and be his disciple? So we've just been told who Jesus is, the Christ, the Son of Man, Jesus explains what that means. But now he's going to explain what it means to follow him. And um, the whole crowd comes now. Jesus calls the crowd to him with his disciples and gives this little uh, clear, straightforward, plain language teach on what it means to be a disciple. Um, and again, it's a famous thing that you've heard before, that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And goes on with a little bit more that I won't read because I'm sure you just read it. <laughs> um, okay. So this is what we know. Rob, what are your thoughts here?
0: <laughs> I was going to ask you. Um, well, I mean, one of the things that always jumps out to me and partially because it's um, it's something that I've heard a lot of people debate over is why does Jesus respond the way he does to Peter? Hmm. Right? So there's Jesus, like you said, is being very plain. The reality is even in his uh, foretelling of his death as a resurrection, he's being very plain. What's interesting to me is that Jesus is already laying out the gospel before us. So he's saying, I like, who am I? The response is you're the Christ. And he goes, you're right. Now, let me tell you what the Christ does. Not, not just will do, but does. Right? This, is the, this is the Christ. So he's rewriting, right? He's, and he's mm-hmm. been doing this, this idea of what the kingdom is versus what they've thought the kingdom was going to be. Um, this kingdom versus the earthly kingdom. He's been rewriting for them constantly through the book. Again, he's rewriting and says and calls himself the son of man, which is, I think is important for later because the son of man stuff comes up again later. and right in chapter nine in our reading. Um, But the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. So he gets really specific again. It's not just a foretelling with a dramatic story or a parable. He's getting very specific. These are the people that are gonna do it. This is who I am. And this is what's going to happen. Um, Peter's response to that now, I think it's interesting because Peter pulls him aside. Peter's not publicly shaming him. Peter's actually, it seems, even caring or some, some level of compassionate. It's not like it doesn't say Peter jumped up in front of the crowd. It says Peter pulled him aside, uh, took him aside, and began to rebuke him, which I, I feel like that's... Come on, Peter. <laughs> uh, you've seen enough already. Don't rebuke him. Why would you do that? <laughs> this is just a bad idea. But... Um, but then Jesus makes a spectacle of his rebuke. Yeah. So Peter's trying to do this plainly just between him and, and, and Jesus. And Jesus says, you know what? Everyone needs to hear this.
1: I never noticed that. (laughs) It says Peter took him aside and then Jesus turning and seeing his (laughs) disciples rebuked Peter. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting.
0: Um, but I think there, there's this idea that, and truthfully, it's something that at least we can see really clearly in our day. And it sounds like was true to some extent here, or at least the desire of um, uh, of the Jews was that they wanted to get around the suffering part, right? Like, no, you don't have to die. No, this doesn't have to happen. You don't have to be rejected. You don't, this isn't the reality. And Jesus says, no, I'm telling you the truth. You have to accept and come into my truth do not tell me that I'm wrong. Come into what I'm explaining to you. Mm. And I think that, again, so the what was interesting to me and some of the notes I wrote down as I was reading it was just, again, why does he say Satan? Is it because Satan is working through Peter? Is it because he's calling Peter Satan? Is it because he's using the, the Greek term differently? Like I've heard all these different mm. things. And I think that misses the point. I think the point ultimately is what, is said actually uh, following, which is that he's got his mind set on the wrong things. Jesus is being very clear, very plain. He's explaining the Christ. He's explaining the king of the kingdom and what he will do, the son of man. And Peter's going, I don't like that. I want it this way. And Jesus goes, then I need to, to explain this to everyone, why this is wrong. I can't, you like, let's be really clear, Yeah. right? So Jesus, like you said, is being really clear all of a sudden again, and so I think we can get hung up on, oh my goodness, he called Peter Satan like we get hung up on that word and miss the whole point and realize that Jesus is once again being really clear. He is saying no, the way of the kingdom is rejection, death, and resurrection. If you want the resurrection, if you want this new life, it's going to become it's going to come this way, and then he decides. So it's again, pulled from Peter to the disciples and then goes to the next level and calls everyone else in again Wow! and says, everyone needs to understand this. So even if you don't see me as the Christ, you need to understand what you'd be saying yes to. So first it's the one who knows that I'm the Christ, the people that are following me, and then everyone else. This is what the kingdom looks like, suffering, death, and resurrection. Great.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> great. No, that
1: was that was great. I think like I I didn't even see the how there's there's those levels there. Like even I mean the, the text is making it clear and I missed it. That was good. Um <laughs> and just how Jesus is explaining these things. What do you think of um the v- verse one of chapter nine? When, You're just
0: going to ask me questions. I, <laughs> before this started, I said, "Oh, Jordan, I've got so many questions to ask you," and he's taking advantage to,
1: to them all, <laughs> so I don't have to think about it. Um, yeah. So truly, I say to you, there's some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Does it? Is he then referring to what happens exactly next, or a mix of things, or Jesus' second coming? Or the rapture.
0: The Rapture. <laughs> uh, we won't talk about the rapture oh, okay. on this podcast. That's, that's... That well, if it comes it's... up in the text, we will. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. So we won't talk about it because it's not in the Bible. You don't know that. But <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no. Um, okay. I I don't know. I think there's a, even even traditionally how people have read the scriptures. There's some different opinions on it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are opinions on was it the transfiguration, uh, was it the resurrection, what was it exactly. I think we can probably say he didn't mean his second coming mm-hmm. and the end of all days,
1: yeah, right. I think the whoever was standing there is probably dead now.
0: I'd say so. I think, I mean, maybe we just don't know there. Maybe there's a real good conspiracy we haven't heard of yet, but. I, I would say that's probably a fair yeah.
1: estimate. I haven't read a lot of Dan Brown, but I'm I'm not sure if any if there's any conspiracies around that.
0: I think he likes to disprove rather than bring more oh, okay. of those things. But um so I I mean for me, I think whether it's the transfiguration or the resurrection both make sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that both truly are about the kingdom coming in power. Um for for me, I feel like when I read it, I immediately tied it to Resurrection Pentecost. Yeah. So the, the coming the kingdom coming in power, to me, I feel like that sounds so much like Pentecost. Mm-hmm. Like the kingdom has come through the Spirit and it's now accessible to all of these people and Peter walks out. And so I mean even the fact that Peter is at the forefront of Pentecost and at the forefront of this story. So in my head, that's what was all being correlated together. And and again, I don't know. I don't know what he means exactly. Um, But I do think that it's not a, Jesus wasn't saying something that we go, oh, look, he was lying or it didn't come true. Um, Even if the people there would have thought that that meant his second coming. Uh, That happens a lot between God and his people. God says something, seems plain, yeah, the people don't understand, and then later afterwards they go, "Oh, that's what he meant." Yeah. Um, so I, for me, if if I was studying this, I'd go find something probably based on patristic, like early church. What did they think he was talking about? Um, was there a, a set belief? This was talking about this for a long time in the church, and I'd probably lean towards that because it was the tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, but my plain reading, just as I read it today, it immediately went to Resurrection Pentecost.
1: Yeah, I think that probably seems to be, I mean, the whole story of Scripture, according to the way I see it, <laughs> or have been taught to see it, is probably a better way to, I didn't just make this up. Um, <laughs> is it's about the kingdom of God coming to earth or being reestablished on earth or yeah. heaven um, and earth becoming one again. Uh, so the big the big act of power where the kingdom of God comes is through the life of Jesus, particularly his death and resurrection. So I would assume that that is at, at least at the forefront of what Jesus is referring to, particularly after he's just saying um, that he must suffer and be rejected and be killed and in three days rise again. And it's kind of like, this is the end of, this is the conclusion of that little teaching.
0: Yeah. And I would, I would even put like in, you know, as you're talking about that, I thought, Oh, you know, the way you just worded that, I think it's really helpful because again, we don't want to take it out of the context. Mm -hmm. So he's just been talking about all of that. Now there was, he didn't start, like Mark didn't say, chapter 9, verse 1, this was all one thought, one yes. story, right? Um, but then again, he immediately goes into the transfiguration also. Yes. So I, in some respects, I go, oh, if I'm reading it just in line as Mark wrote it, in the story, in the context, I go, uh, the transfiguration shouldn't be completely separated from this either.
1: Yeah, no, that's somehow tied into what he just said. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And because, again, Mark is... Um, knows what he's doing, mm-hmm. he's know, he knows what he's writing. So these aren't random things all just kind of randomly put together. Yeah, He's telling the transfiguration story after this uh, explanation of Jesus for a reason. Yeah. So I do think there's, even though my head didn't immediately go there, I think that we'd be wrong to pull it out of even that context as well. So if he put the transfiguration story
1: after, the, after this mm-hmm. for a reason, mm-hmm. what's the reason?
0: Well, I, do, I, I mean, I think probably it has to do with the kingdom of God coming in power. Like the, in, in the tradition, uh, you know, this mm-hmm. is one of, the, one of the things that extra reading has taught me is that, especially in the East, they see the transfiguration as the first time. Jesus fully in glory mediates between heaven and earth. Hmm. So he's actually caught up in glory in that moment, right? And so he—that's um, a, that's a really uh, important moment, the transfiguration, and we don't want to minimize or lose that. Um, so I think that there is a way in which the idea of the kingdom of God coming in power, even the fact that Peter is the first name once again listed, Right Jesus has just rebuked him, and he's whether he means Satan like we think of or whatever he means there he's using strong language in front of his friends to rebuke Peter, and who does he pull for the Transfiguration? Peter's mm-hmm. one of the names um, all of those things seem to time together to me, yeah
1: um, so what your, what you've been saying has actually been really helpful for starting to tie some of this together. You talked about how he is rewriting um, their expectations, mm-hmm. and about how the kingdom of God is coming in power, and so the um, the the section that. Like I guess if this section had a title, mm-hmm. it would be because we've talked about how the the kingdom is a mystery and he's been, you know, giving parables, giving demonstrations, um, talking a little bit about it, but it's all mysterious. Yeah. This is where the mystery gets unveiled or revealed.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And he tells them plainly mm. and says that the kingdom of heaven coming in power mm. involves suffering.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: For the Messiah who's bringing the kingdom of heaven, Mm -hmm. and for the disciples who are going to follow him and Mm -hmm. bring the kingdom of heaven with him, suffering is involved. Mm -hmm. And then, what else? So that's clear Mm -hmm. because he told them. Yeah. What else is clear? Like he shows them the transfiguration. Yeah. So it's not just suffering, it's also glory. Right. And so, I guess it's one of those things where he's rewriting what their expectation is because their expectation is glory yeah, of one kind. Yeah. And he so far keeps, you know, he'll heal someone and say, don't tell anybody because they're going, well, that's glorious. Right. But there it is, but they're going to then assume all these other things about what the glory of the kingdom coming will look like. Yeah. um, And, so finally, he gets clear and goes, Yes, the kingdom of God is coming in power, but it involves suffering. Mm. Um, and that's why I haven't let you just run every which way and, and tell everyone about what's happening yet because you don't quite understand what's happening yet. Um, there's suffering. And then, right on the heels of that, shows them that there's also glory when the kingdom of God comes in power. So they were right there is glory. Uh, but I don't think that when they were thinking when the kingdom of God comes, it's going to be glorious, meaning this man named Jesus will transform in front of our eyes Mm -hmm. to look like this transcendent, radiant being. Mm. He looks like the son of man in Daniel, I think chapter seven, which he's just referred to himself as the son of man you pointed out. yeah. Is that where you're going with that?
0: Well, and it comes up again later.
1: Okay. Um, And I don't think by the kingdom of God coming in glory, they figured Elijah and Moses are going to show up (laughs) in some sort of physical appearance. Yeah. Um, Like they must have been physical enough that because Peter thought, I guess we're here for a while. I'll start setting up camp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There's a there's a literal glory cloud overshadowing them yeah. and then a voice comes out of that cloud like i don't know if a voice has come out of a cloud so Jesus' baptism yeah before that was there anything in the old testament about a voice coming out of a cloud between the exodus story and jesus baptism i can't think of anything no i can't think of anything not either. to say that 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 there isn't but Anyway, so these things are happening that haven't happened since Israel's defining moment as a nation coming out of Egypt.
0: Coming out of their slavery, being saved, being brought into a new nation.
1: Being brought out by Moses. Yeah. (laughs) And then Moses shows up. Jeez,
0: this is cool, hey?
1: Also that, so I don't know what reflection to make off this, but Elijah and Moses, uh, Elijah's perhaps the most famous prophetic figure Mm -hmm. in Israel. Mm -hmm. And then Moses brought the law. So you've got the law and the prophets meeting yeah. with Jesus on a mountain.
0: Totally. Which I think is, it's like old and new covenant, right? In that mm. m- moment, showing the marrying of those two. Right. I think one of the things that really stuck out to me is that Elijah shows up right after Peter has confessed that, well, many think that you're Elijah.
1: Hmm.
0: And so Jesus reveals to Peter Oh, well, I'm not Elijah. Yeah. He's a buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm not Elijah. But then again, Elijah comes up again right at the end of the transfiguration in the conversation where he talks about how Elijah has already come. And this idea that um there's a, there's a really interesting like layout that's happening and it's kind of like there's layers of this, right? So Just as you were talking, I was thinking, oh man, like think of everything that's happened in in Mark so far. So all of this revelation of the new kingdom, the new king, who he is, son of man, king king over this kingdom. It leads to what? Well, it leads to Peter's confession that you are the Christ. Right. So you've confessed. Now I need you to understand what that means in its reality. Because so far I've been revealing myself in a specific way to lead you to that confession. Now I need to reveal something you're not seeing yet. Death and resurrection, right? The suffering of the Son of Man. And that you're all going to take that on too. If you follow me, that's what you're getting called into also. And so there's this death and resurrection, which what? Leads to glory. But whose glory? Well, it's the glory of Christ. Wow. Which then leads to... well i'm i'm jumping right into the rest of our text so i don't know how helpful it is but you know everyone that's listened has probably been reading it already so it then leads into healing again so it's like okay so the the son of man is glorified through or after or in the midst of this death and resurrection he's like this is what the life looks like and it brings glory to who brings glory to jesus oh, and by the way, this is what life's going to look like again. So I've shown you all this in the, res- in the revelation leading up to your confession. Just remember, life's going to look like this. Now let's go out and do the stuff again. Hmm. And I thought it was really interesting in reading that stuff afterwards. We can go back to the transfiguration if we okay. got more, but I just thought this has been in, it's r- rotating in my head. This healing is like, well, how do you heal? Well, you heal by faith. Anything's possible, right? Anything's yeah. possible if you have faith someone who believes and then exorcism, but how, well, this only happens by prayer. And so again, it, it brings back this idea of like our participation still isn't even in our own power. So it's like, we're revealing, we're confessing, we're suffering, we're being brought into new life. We're seeing the glory of Christ and we're glorifying him through these works that are works of faith and of prayer because it's actually not our authority. It's Christ's authority still. It's not like a perfect, like a working, but just as I'm kind of spanning over what we've just read, I go, Mm -hmm. oh my goodness. Isn't that like life in a nutshell?
1: Mm.
0: Like he reveals himself enough to lead us into confession. He reveals the way of Christ to us in that. So you know who I am. Now will you follow me? This is what it's going to look like. And then there's like, there's some sobering that happens there. There's some like, oh boy, (laughs) do I want to do that? Is that really what I want my life to look like? Am I really okay with that? You say, yes, you continue to follow like Peter, James, and John. Let me bring you in and so you can see the glory of who you're following. There's glory there. There's power. There's majesty. And then, hey, let's go back out and do some more work by faith and by prayer. Anyways. Again, I'm jumping all over the place. I apologize, but
1: no, I think that's helpful. Even for a like a teachable moment on how to read the Bible hmm. is for me reading these the Transfiguration and then the healing after it. I'm going. I have so many questions because I'm looking at like some of the specific things that Gid said, and I'm like, that. What does that mean? Right. And what? And then. But as you, what you just did, I think, is you just took a step back and went, what are the themes here? Mm. And in the healing, there's, I mean, if you just pick out the words that repeat themselves is like faith, um, belief, unbelief. Yeah. Um, you can do anything if you can do anything. If you can, I believe all things are possible, um, you know, and so faith and belief and prayer and just those things you named, and then and then once you start thinking about well, what theme is this really about? Mm-hmm. Then you go, oh, actually, now I see how it's all tied together. But if mm-hmm. you get sometimes, if you get too lost in the little details of it, there's so many little questions about right. things that it's actually unhelpful. Yeah. Um, but as you're doing, it, it's like, oh, yeah, now I see how this is starting to fit together. Mm. Hmm you have any more for the transfiguration? Should we go on to the healing part?
0: I'm okay to go on. I think it's really... The Elijah stuff's really interesting to me. Yeah. And I don't totally understand it, but I just think the... Um, he sure sounds like he's talking about John the Baptist. Yeah. Right? So this is what's so interesting
1: for me. It just shows how terrible of a reader I am. Um I read those things and I went, I think he's talking about John the Baptist, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think somewhere else, I don't know if it's in Mark or a different gospel that it kind of makes clear about this stuff of John the Baptist being the Elijah who would come, yeah. the Elijah figure. Yeah. Um, so I was just going, I think he's talking about John the Baptist, um, forgetting that literally like an inch above on the page, <laughs> Elijah himself actually had shown up. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Six lines later, I've forgotten that Elijah just showed up, and they're talking about, doesn't Elijah have to come? Yeah. And I'm already thinking, well, this probably doesn't actually mean Elijah. (laughs) But I still think there's that overlap of John the Baptist, because somewhere else it it makes it clear.
0: I didn't see that. (laughs) Isn't
1: that funny? (laughs) I'm going, wait a minute. No, Elijah just did come. So that's, which, that's, why the question, that's why they're asking the question, mm-hmm. why do the scribes say that Elijah must come? Because he just did. Um, and so they're like, did, didn't, aren't the scribes saying something about that? And Jesus says, yeah, he does come first to restore all things, which I think is not referring to the Elijah showing up in the transfiguration, but probably to John the Baptist's work in bringing people right. into a repentant state.
0: Yeah, making the way... Stress.
1: Yeah, because that's about restoration, which is exactly, let me just flip back to chapter one. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's verse two of Mark. So you get two verses into Mark and he's talking about, um, uh, John the Baptist being sent hmm. to prepare the way and restore things, um,
0: Yeah. That's so funny. I actually had literally not thought about the fact that Elijah was just there.
1: Neither did I until you were starting to talk about it. And then I went, wait a minute.
0: But I didn't even think about it when I was talking about it. No. So so here's a note. We are not smart people. No. We just like doing this. And you don't have to be smart to read the Bible. You're going to miss a million things because it is it is actually eternally deep. Mm -hmm. We will always be figuring out, mining out who God is. And this is one of the most beautiful ways he gives us to find out who he is. So don't feel bad. If you hear us say something and you're like, what, how did I miss that? We probably didn't even know we were saying it out loud. So,
1: (laughs) you know, that's why it's helpful to read with another person because they point out things you miss and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in that case, Rob, what did I miss in the story about the healing?
0: I don't know. I, I I think like I, when I was reading it, honestly, I think it just, what, what, what really stood out to me is it seemed somehow like the outworking, like there's, there's this clear, all of a sudden, like right in front of us moment of suffering um, okay, yeah. And so we've just yeah. been talking yeah. about what suffering is meant to lead into, which is resurrection, and that it doesn't take away from the suffering. It's still real. Um, and it's just a boy, right? It's mm-hmm. just like it's, he's young, and it's really sad, everything that's been going on for him. And the truth is, it was probably not like in our day and age, I don't think we would read what's going on with this boy and think that boy's demon-possessed. Maybe we would in the church, but... Right. a lot of people in the world would assume that it's something different going on and, and medicate or mm-hmm. or hospitalize or something which i understand when you don't have an, any understanding of what it is you, you go f- for the truth that you can find um but we're just seeing real suffering and there's some level of question of god are you able you know and yeah. i really like that like I don't hear it as a rebuke the way that Jesus responds to him down. If we look through 21 through 24, um, Jesus says, how long has it been happening from childhood? And then he says in second part of 22, but if you can do anything and it feels like a real request, like it feels like a Psalm, Hmm. like God, are you there? I I need Hmm. your help. And Jesus, um, Jesus responds, I, it feels more joyful than maybe rebuking in my head, at least. If, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Um, and, and the beautiful response, once again, of the father is to say, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Not Not, well, I've been faithful all these days. I'm gonna prove it to you. It is just raw emotion. I probably am not worthy, God. I don't know if I believe enough, but I know I have some level of faith here. Yeah. Would you do this? And it, for some for some reason, as I was reading it, it really felt like a psalm, yeah. like a, like an outworking of a psalm wow. to me. And um, and then even at the end, when Jesus says, you know, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer, it, it felt again like it was just like an ending of the psalm, like this prayer, this need. Um, yeah, and I and I think again, I, I'm. Now, I really believe that the stuff in the scriptures is is literal and there is poetic stuff um, throughout it. And so it's not, I don't mean that in the sense of every individual detail, but I think this does tell us to some extent when we're dealing with things, especially around spirits, uh, we have to understand that sometimes we are going to come up against something we have no idea what to do. And all we can do is say, there's faith here, Lord, we need your help and pray. Yeah. Right. That it's not, it's not through power that we have in our own hands to just command it, but that we have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, would you free this person from this ailment? Um, Yeah. But, but I didn't, I don't feel like I had anything like, wow, revolutionary. It just felt really prayerful to me, the whole text. Mm -hmm. That's a good point.
1: I wonder what it looked like for the disciples to be trying to cast out the demon before
0: Jesus showed up. You know? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Makes me think of the earlier text where Jesus is... Sends them out.
1: Where does he uh, cast out a demon before this? Five. Chapter five. The demon-possessed man. Oh, yeah. Um, so, Jesus, the way Jesus casts it, I was saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit, and talks to it. What is your name? My name is Legion. Um, sends them to the pigs. Mm-hmm. So, that, I mean, if they're doing that, that's not, if they're just trying to repeat those words, essentially, yeah. you know, that's not
0: prayer. Yeah, formulaic Not more prayerful. than... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I think, you know, the Lord does that at times. He gives us formula. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't even, again, it doesn't seem rebuking. It doesn't, like, he's, he's actually just responding to their question. Why couldn't we cast it out? Well, because it, it, it could only come out through prayer. It wasn't a, oh, you who are foolish and, like, it, right? It wasn't a rebuke by him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think, in some respects, uh, it would make sense that they were trying to follow the formula that they saw.
1: Yeah. Do you think? Because you, you're, what you're saying about the response of the dad, his the way he's talking with Jesus sounds like a psalm, mm-hmm. which um, we, I mean, you're just saying it sounds like prayer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So when Jesus says this has to this kind has to be driven out by prayer, Mm. did Jesus then pray for it to come out? Because he. uh,
0: Or was the conversation with the man.
1: Or was it the man praying to Jesus? And that's
0: where it comes out. That's really interesting because it does. I hadn't really thought of it that way Mm -hmm. because Jesus, it doesn't talk about Jesus praying at all.
1: No, he says, I command you. He does the same thing that he did before. Yeah. And I mean, I've, I think until now I've assumed that Jesus means this kind. you have to have been spending a lot of time in prayer mm-hmm. or living a life of prayer. Right. Um, and there's, I don't know if it's in other gospels. It says at least here that some manuscripts add prayer and fasting. So it kind of would suggest then that you, you got to put some elbow grease into this yeah, yeah, um, and spend time in prayer yeah. um, or a lifestyle of prayer or be a person who's like a monk, you know? Yeah. And then, and once you've done a lot of prayer in your life, then you can cast out demons. Yeah. But your connection there to this sounds like a Psalm makes me go, maybe he's just referring to that dad's prayer
0: to him. I believe, help me in my unbelief. Yeah. It's really interesting because, again, he doesn't, it just says he rebuked it, yeah. com- commands it, names it. You mute in deaf spirit, right? Yeah. Um, which there's lots of different ideas of how people are supposed to do this stuff. But that is really interesting because it, it doesn't actually reveal any prayer.
1: No. Yeah, because Jesus didn't pray there to, to cast it out. I mean, he has been praying. Sure. So he could be referring to that.
0: Yeah. But
1: I don't know. Oh
0: yeah. That's, I don't have the answer, but that is a really good thought. I wonder.
1: Okay. So if we were to want to find the answer, what would we do? Like if we're reading this, um, not for the sake of the podcast, but we're just reading it and we get on this train of thought and we go, I don't. I don't know where to land on this is one possible or both possible answers or explanations. What would you do to study
0: it? Um, Well, I mean, I, there's a series of things normally. So I would immediately, I'd go find something ancient uh, that talks about this specific section, uh, meaning just early church people. But I'd also look to the original language to see if there's anything yeah. uh, so we can do that. We've talked about this before in the podcast. You can Google this. Uh, you don't have mm-hmm. to have tools necessarily, but there are good tools uh, that you can find online in all different sorts of ways. I have some books and some things online that I, that I own that I would go to uh, commentaries. Um, so just scholars that have spoken about this. Um, and I would try and find if there is, if there is, Because like I said, there might not be, and like we've said about all these things throughout this, sometimes there's just a unanimous, the church, anyone that really studies something, they all go, it's probably this. Yeah, That's not super common, (laughs) but it's it's fairly unanimous. There's those sorts of things. Uh, Maybe there's one of those there, so we can find that pretty easily. Uh, The other side of it is I consistently go back and say, what did the church believe before there was split? Before there was separation, before there was division, um, was there u- a unanimous thought about it there? And the truth is, sometimes we have questions they didn't have. Yeah. And so there, what there isn't a yeah. unanimous belief about a specific text. So those are the sorts of things I would do. I'd go looking a little bit further into those things, um, and uh, and yeah, just see what I could find on on the very specific text. But uh, we've done it before. I think. Jordan actually Googled while we were on uh, recording one before, and there's an amazing amount of stuff you can find mm-hmm. in a quick search. It's not all safe. So yeah. you do a Google search. There might not, doesn't mean it's automatically right. Um, but there's lots of different things out there to do. Um, and then the truth is I, I, my one of the first things I always do just because sometimes people have studied these things and I haven't is I go find other people that are studiers of the word uh, other pastors and priests and, and, and whoever else, and teachers, and, and just ask people that I'm connected to. Ask the church. So I ask the church both in the past, I ask the church that I don't know through scholarship and those sorts of things, and I ask the church just locally, the people I know. Um, and I don't try and figure out the answer on my own.
1: Yeah. That's good. Can I point out, can I have a nerd moment? Of course. That I cheated. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to just pull out my English Bible, read it, and then we hit record and we talk about it. But as we were talking, I went, oh, I wonder if, hmm. And made a little connection that, again, I don't know how to reflect on it quite yet. But uh, so verse chapter nine, verse one that we were talking about where he says, Some of you are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about what does it look like when the kingdom comes with power. Mm. And obviously, um, well, then there's the transfiguration. So that's probably part of it. And then this healing story, that's probably also part of it. I just assumed. Um, But then in the healing story, there's this repeated phrase where the dad says, if you can, and Jesus says, what do you mean? If I can, all Mm. things are possible. Um, And that the disciples were not able to. Mm. And then the, uh, actually, let me just double check. I read all of that, right? What's the last verse of the text?
0: Of the one we're reading right now? Yeah.
1: Oh, sorry. Verse 28. Um, hmm, 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 hmm. This is a really interesting podcast listening, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they were not able. What verse is that? That they say we were not able.
0: I asked your disciples. 28. Why could we not cast it out? That one?
1: No, earlier. Oh, uh, verse 18. I asked your disciples... And they were not able. Mm. Um, okay, that word's different. Okay. If you can, that phrase, if you can, mm-hmm. uh, it, it could also be if you are able. So there's, there's one mm. word in Greek that could, you can translate it. If you, like I am able to do something, mm-hmm. I can do something, mm. or I have power to do something.
0: Oh, so the noun,
1: of, so that's a verb. Yeah. I am able, I have yeah. power to, I can. Mm. Um, the noun of that verb is um, power. So in verse one, it says, until after you see the kingdom of God has come with power, and right. the word is um, dunamis. Hmm. And then the verb is uh, dunamai. Interesting. So it's a noun verb between if, so, so yeah, after the kingdom of God has come with power and then in this healing story, essentially the dad says, if you have power to do anything and Jesus says, what do you mean if I have power? Right. So it's explicitly about the kingdom of God coming in power.
0: Interesting. Which is
1: more, I guess it's just more explicit than we would read in English. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe it's not as interesting as I was thinking, but.
0: No, that's uh, great. I, mean, I love it. Hmm. Strange. Oh, I like that. Okay, well, I think we got wrapped up on this one. We're ending off on verse 29 of Mark 9. Uh, Thanks for following along with us. And we're going to be back uh, to begin on Mark 9, verse 30 uh, very soon.